Welcome to Lift City Church Podcast, where we lift people into their next level relationship with Christ. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we're believing God that this message lifts you to another level. Now, God reiterates that over and over and over again. So if the just are to live by faith, then should I ever stop teaching on faith? Never. So you can never get tired of hearing God's word because not on faith, because this is how God has commanded for every believer to live. So I've been in this series entitled the Faith Refresher Series, and we've been talking about how as believers we should live by this principle called faith. I was sharing with someone just the other day, the thing that people do not understand is that living a successful life is incorporating a system of principles and standards for your life. How do you walk or live out life. It consists of a set of principles that you live by. Life is a system. It's a rhythm. You got to catch the rhythm and stay on beat if you want to live the life that God has for you. The problem with life is that a lot of times we'll get on the beat or in the rhythm and then we'll make a decision that gets us off the beat and out of the rhythm. And so the challenge comes when we're trying to figure out how do I get back on beat? Anybody want to be on beat? Yeah. Have you ever been uh, uh, to, a, to a, uh, a, a worship service or you could have been to a concert or something like that and maybe there were several people up and then you got people clapping on beat and then you got somebody in the middle of the beat? It's traumatizing, isn't it? Because you're like, will they catch that beat? Will they just? And that's exactly the way that life is. You're traumatizing your own life when you're off the beat of life that God has intended for you. It's a series of traumatic experiences because you're trying to get onto something and you keep making choices and decisions that keep you off of what you know you should be on. And so by faith, the Bible says, this is how we live every single day of my life. I don't only live by faith when I'm in trouble. Rewind. Because the church is notorious for wanting to practice the principle of faith when we need God or when we're in trouble. And what we tend to do is try to use our faith as a parachute to save us in the day of calamity. But that is not what God intended for a faith walk to look like. You're supposed to walk by faith. I get up by faith in the morning. I brush my teeth by faith. I have breakfast by faith. I go to work by faith. I pay my bills by faith. I'm healed of the Lord by faith. I don't want to activate or attempt to activate my faith. Now I'm sick, but all the time, like I'm sick, like really, really sick. Like, like they're saying that I don't have long to live sick, and now I want to activate my faith. Well, you should have activated your faith when the doctor told you give up the pork chop. Because the condition was caused by the food that we're eating. And we activate our faith for everything else. So why didn't we activate our faith and say, God, this pork chop will not be eaten today. By faith, I don't want it in Jesus' name. By faith, I bind the chocolate cake spirit in Jesus' name. I bind the sugar demon in the name of Jesus. By faith. We want to wait until we get deathly ill and then cry out to God, but you have not even practiced your faith, so how do you think your faith is going to work? You're going to walk into a set or a series of more being more in fear than you are in faith. And if you are in fear, you cannot be in faith. 
So the just, everybody say it with me, shall live by faith. How do we live? How do we move? How do we be? We do it by faith. Now, we also talked about this God kind of faith has a system. The number one thing that we need to do in the system of the God kind of faith is that we got to ask for something. Say, I must ask God for something. That's why he told you to do. He said, ask him for what you need. Now, Let's get an understanding of that. Once you ask God for something, you don't need to keep on asking him. Uh, Minister Roy, whose coffee is that right there? Can I have that cup of coffee? Thank you. Minister Roy, can I have the cup of coffee? It's empty, though. Why you play me like that? <laughs> why, why you play me like that? Minister Roy, can I have this cup of coffee? Minister Roy, can I have this cup of coffee? Minister Roy, can I have this cup of coffee? Speak up louder, Mr. Worry. Mr. Worry, can I have this cup of coffee? Minister, Minister Rory, can I have this cup of coffee? This is exactly what we do with God. He's at, we've already asked him, and the Bible says when, he, when we ask, he delivers. And that's what the faith walk is, Pastor Terry. When we ask, he delivered because the scripture says he has already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything that I need, I already have it in my hand. The cup say, pick me up. <laughs> so everything that I need, God has already placed into my hand. What I now must do is activate my faith to bring it into the present tense, into the fleshly realm so that I can see it. But God has already given it to us in the spiritual realm. Do y'all read your Bible? Do y'all bring your Bible to church? Ooh. On the phone, on the phone. Somebody say, on the phone. You, somebody say, you saved the whole congregation. <laughs> and so we keep asking God for stuff that he's already done. And you know why we keep asking God for stuff that, is, that he's already done? Because we don't really believe that he's already done it. It's just like your kid. If you tell them, I'm going to take you to 7-Eleven. Why do children like to go nowadays? Because they got bougie kids nowadays. Chick-fil-A. Chick 7-Eleven don't even exist. Let's chick, chick fill to the A. Okay. That's where they like to go. I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A. Now, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. You ask them what they want for lunch. You say, I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A, but not on a Sunday, though, because they closed. But you say, I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A. And at 10 o'clock, Mama, are you going to take me to Chick-fil-A? I told you at 9 that I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A. 11 o'clock, Mama, you going to take me to Chick-fil-A? I told you at 9 and 10 that I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A. 12 o'clock, Mama, we going to Chick-fil-A? I told you at 9, 10, and 11 that we going to Chick-fil-A. And by then, our blood pressure is bought to ask me again, and you won't be going to Chick-fil-A. That's how we do, but that ain't how God does. Right? Right? And so, so it is an indication of 
your child keeps on asking you the same thing is it an indication of do they really believe that you're going to take them to Chick-fil-A? The aggravation comes in because, Danielle, if I tell my child that I'm going to do something and I'm going to do it, don't question whether or not you're questioning my character and my integrity. That's the way we feel about it. If you're going to ask me ten times if I'm going to do something I already told you I'm going to do, now I'm at the point where I feel like, Pam, you are testing or questioning my integrity. And that's why I'm a little aggravated, right? Well, how do you think God feels when you keep, you keep asking him for the same stuff he already gave you? He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And God is saying, I've already given it to you. All I need you to do is to apply your faith, the currency to the kingdom of heaven, and transact it out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm. Everything, the Bible says, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that by his stripes we were healed, past tense. So if I were healed, I'm is healed. I am healed. I'm just healed because it's past tense, right? Jesus said, I came that you, I came, what tense is past? I mean, what, what tense is came? I came that you may have what? And that life more what? About, that's what Jesus said. Past tense. So the problem is not that God hasn't done anything. The problem is not on God's time or God's side. The problem is in our side. See, we think the ball is, in still, is still in God's court, but the ball is now in our court. And God said, y'all, some of y'all just letting the ball roll around the court. You won't pick it up. You won't dribble. And you sure enough won't shoot. And God's waiting for you to pick up the ball, dribble your, on your faith, get that thing down, get you a system, and then every time you apply your faith, basket, net. Don't matter from the position. Three-point line, two-point line, don't matter. Net. Because God is faithful. And what he said, he's going to do. Amen. So you must ask for something. You must believe something. You must confess something, do something, and expect something. That's the system of how do I apply my faith. I must ask for something. Everybody say ask for something. This is the ABCs of faith. I must, I must, you got to talk, you got to say something out of your mouth. What's the next one? I must do something. And what's after that? I must expect something. So if I am going to receive God's best for my life, then I must understand what God's word says about me. Y'all hear me? If you're going to receive, this is why you need to be in a good church with a good pastor teaching you the word of God. This is why you need to be a student of God's word because you need information so that you can apply it, right? So if I'm going to receive God's best for my life, then what you and I must do, we must understand, number one, we must understand what God's word says about me. I got to know what God says about me because if I am not convinced that God loves me, then I'm going to question everything that God tells me to do. It's no different. We do it with people. If you work for a supervisor that you're not sure is for you, you're going to question every uh, responsibility or every instruction she or he gives you. You're going to question it because you don't always ask yourself, I don't know if they're for me. See, and this is what we do with God. So I must first understand that God is okay with me. I got to be confident that God is okay with me. Say, God is okay with me. Now, we talked about this last week. God's problem is not with us. God's problem is with sin. Because sin 
is a revolt against God. So that's why God has a problem with sin. I got to be understand. I have to understand and I have to be confident that God has given me this ability, this special ability to release my faith. And when I release my faith, things happen. Say, when I release my faith, things happen. So last week we were talking about this and I made this statement. At the root, at the core of Christian faith is this one question. At the core of our belief system is this one question. And the question is, do I really, really, really believe that God is okay with me? I got to really check the recesses of my heart. Do I really believe that God is okay with me? Or is there something in me that makes me feel or question whether or not God is okay with me? I said it last week, and I'll tell you again this week, yes, God is okay with you. Will you encourage somebody today? Say, God, okay with you as a believer. If you're a believer, God is okay with you. If you're not a believer, we're going to make sure God okay with you today before you leave. God is okay with you. God is not upset with us. God is not angry with us. But for so many of us who have come up in church or come up in the world, well, actually, that's all of us, right? But the, the church world and the world sometimes has this depiction of God, like God is this big king sitting on his throne, and he's waiting for you to mess up. Because we picture God as being mean and God as being evil, and you'll never go to someone who you don't trust who you have a problem with, who you think does not have your best interest at heart. So I've had to do a lot of work in the last three weeks to get you to understand that God is for you. Are you convinced that God is for you? Yes. Now, God does not want to punish us. Say, God does not want to punish me. Guess what God wants to do? Guess what, guess what God wants to do? He wants to prosper you. Say, God does not want to punish me. He wants to prosper me. God is not in the business of destroying me. God is not in the business of destroying us. He is in the business of developing us. Did you hear what I said? You got to make sure you got your D's correctly. God is not in the business of destroying his people. I know religiously a lot of times that has been filtered down to us. I know even in the world when we say stuff like, you know, we think about Hurricane Katrina or other hurricanes or natural disasters, what do we say? It's of God. What does that then make people think, Pastor DJ, that God is upset? That's why I have to say to you, if I'm going to get you to have faith and trust in God, then that means that I got to get you to understand that God is not against you. He's not against you. You and I, as people, will never trust another person that we think is against us. You will never go to that person. If you ever need some money or you ever need help, you are never going to go to the person that you question whether or not they're really for you. And if you're thinking that God has a problem with you, somewhere in the recesses of your heart, you're never going to approach him. Like he said in Hebrews, you got to approach him boldly and with confidence so that you can find grace and mercy in the time of need. It does matter how you approach God. Because he's giving you the principle, the standard by which you approach him. He said, come boldly. Why? Because that boldness is an indication that you know what his word says. See, and when you need, know what the word says, you're going to approach God because you're going to remind God because he said, remind ye me. Yeah. 
So when the enemy tries to attack your body, you got to go to Isaiah 53, 4, 5, by his stripes, God. I do not receive a sickness that the enemy is trying to put on me because I am not the sick trying to get well. I'm the healed that the enemy is trying to make sick. I believe I receive. And God, you promised in your word that I am the healed. So I expect healing to show up in my body. And that's how you got to go to God, not God. I'm so sorry for everything I did. Would you please, if you, you, if you would just show me just this one time that you're real. That is not how you approach God. Even in that statement, you're telling God that you don't even believe that he's real. And everything in this system is operating by faith. So God is not in the business of punishing us. God is in the business of prospering us. God is not in the business of destroying us. God is in the business of developing me, right? God does not condemn me, but he will correct me. So God does not punish. God does not destroy. God does not condemn. God corrects. Everybody say it with me. God corrects. So how does God correct? The Bible says whom God loves, he corrects. How does he correct? He corrects with his word. God is not putting something on you. God is not being mean to you. God did not cause you to lose your job. God did not cause you to have an accident. God did not put somebody in the grave to teach somebody a lesson. None of that is scriptural. That is not how God corrects. The Bible says God corrects with his word. He corrects with instruction. He tells us when we mess up what we do what we are supposed to do. If you sin, if you mess up, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and then cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He said, confess your sin. Get it off you. See, when you're confessing it, you're taking it out of the realm of your heart and you're putting it out and away from you. So he says, get rid of it. Why? Because we have a system by which we've been trained to be sin conscious instead of God conscious. I'm always thinking about my sins instead of always thinking about the God who delivered me of that sin. So godly correction, according to the scripture, does not lead to punishment. It does not lead to destruction. It does not lead to condemnation. But godly correction leads to development. So when God wants to correct us, he's correcting us. He said, listen, it's going to be a booty call on Friday night at 10. Somebody say, did she say booty call? I did. Because I got to get in your house. I got to make it relevant and relative to you. I, I need to come to your kitchen table. I, I need to be in your bedroom right now. Because Valentine's Day just passed, and, and some of y'all, you, you, you might have had a little series of booty calls. Because it's Valentine's Day. Yeah, some of y'all be having series. Y'all have spurts. Mm -hmm. That's what y'all do, series of it. But you got a good pastor. You got a good pastor who in this moment is correcting you with the word of God, not punishing you, not condemning you. If you repent it because Valentine's got you in a chokehold, if you repent it, it's all good. God's okay with you and you're okay with God. But I got to help you because God will not punish you because what happens is you'll make a mistake and then something will happen. Say somebody, you go to work the next day or the next week and somebody mistreats you on your job. And the first thing you say, God, get me back. Are y'all going to leave me out here by myself? Or am I lying? Isn't 
that the immediate thought when it doesn't, when you messed up and something doesn't go right? Oh, the Lord, he trying to tell me something. He, he told you something in the word. He's not trying to tell you anything. He already told you. You, 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 you understand me, Mr. Ben? That's what we do. God, God he's trying to get, no, he, he tried to get your attention with the word. He's not changing his system. He didn't create the boss to have a problem with you, to make you think that he has a problem. No, but the enemy will because that's what the devil does. He will take your sin and he will destroy you with your sin and your guilt and condemnation. And you got to learn the difference because guess what? We all mess up. But I have trained myself, Christian, to understand that when I mess up, my immediate response is to get my mind right back in order and say, I am a child of the Most High God. It's covered under the blood. I confess my sin. Father, I turn from my wicked ways. You got to train yourself because what the enemy will do is he'll get you to lay right there in that condemnation. And then what happens is you were on the front row at church, then all of a sudden you're on the sixth row. Because that guilt, and, and you think I'm going to see something. You think people going to see something and expose you. The Bible says love covers, I will never expose you. There's only one place in Scripture where God tells us to expose somebody. That's when you got a believer who decided that they're going to keep sinning and disrupting everything else in the congregation. The Bible says after you take them to the one witness and they won't pay attention, you take them to a few witnesses, they don't pay attention, and then you take them before the congregation and they still don't act right. The Bible says, mark that joker. So that's when I got to stand you up and say, he keep going through all the young women in the church and sleeping with everybody. He don't want none of y'all. He just want a piece of meat. He just want tail. That's when I got to stand you up. And don't push me too far because I ain't got no problem. Let, let me find out. Let me find out you're going through the congregation. And then for all the young ladies, I'm going to have a problem with you. You will step into my office, Caroline. Uh, We're going to have a problem because I've taught you too much about knowing who you are and the value of who you are for you to submit to something like that. I'm going to say, what's the matter with you? But that's what happens. People end up on the sixth row. And then after they're on the sixth row, they're on the back row. And then before you know it, they're out the door and you see another church member, another member of the body of Christ at the grocery store. Where you been? Well, child, I just been busy. Lies. You ain't been busy. You've been in condemnation. This is why the scripture is very clear that when you mess up, you don't run away from the kingdom of God. You run to the kingdom of God because there is safety in the multitude. Otherwise, you're left out there by yourself like a sheep going to slaughter because the enemy will take you and he will destroy you because he starts in your mind with telling you what you're not. You're not good enough. You're not no child of God. A child of God wouldn't do that. You thought you were so saved and you're so holy. Then he'll get in your friends and in your family and they'll say, oh, yeah, you ain't holy rolling no more. But you got to be able to be strong enough in the word of God to look at him and say, no, I didn't holy roll that day, but today I'm back on the holy and the road you got to be bold in this thing because God calls us soldiers you got to be a soldier in this army Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence but the violent take it by force I dare you to snatch back your stuff take it back you take back your mind 
You take and if you need therapy, therapy is good. But ain't no therapist like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Doctors are good, but ain't no doctor like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when you're doing all of that, you better trust in the God who created all of that to help us in our weakness. You can be, be delivered and overcome anything. But you got to understand who you are. So God does not condemn us, but he will correct us with his word. Now, why does God have a problem with sin? Because sin always has consequences. Woo, Lord. Sin has consequences. I know it feel good in a moment. When you was at the booty call, it, it was feeling good. And trust me, equal, equal opportunity ministry, uh, uh, equal opportunity words. Some of y'all men don't need to be in booty calls because you ain't the one calling, she the one calling. Am I lying? The young generation to tell me it ain't the man because they, listen, they, they asking, women asking men to marry them nowadays. The tables done flipped, honey. Okay, so it worked both ways. Sin has consequences. It feels good. How many of y'all know it feels good when you sin? Oh, y'all, oh, it's got a lion spirit in here. A lion demon up here. I said, how many of y'all know it feel good when you sin? I, is there any demons of oppression and lying in this section here that I got to deal with? How many of y'all know it feel good when you sin? It, you wouldn't do it. That's why you're doing it, because it feel good. <laughs> Talking about rub my back and blow my ear right here. Pastor DJ say for me to move along because y'all getting memories. <laughs> you, I need you to take control of that thought life right now. But sin feels good for a season. For a little while. And this is what God understands. And God is not telling you things not to do because he wants to control you. He's telling you because he understands that sin feels good for a reason. But not in a season. But not only that, but sin, it will keep you in bondage and a chokehold to bad behaviors that will separate you from the principle of God's word. So God, knowing this, because we always want to talk about he's the all-knowing God. Well, do you know he also knows that sin is not good for you. And he creates a way for you to live so that you can have access to all of these things that he wants you to have access to. But God understands that sin will separate us from the kingdom by which he wants us to live in. All right? So sin has consequences. Now, there are three different views of the consequences of sin. There's God's view, there's man's view, and there's Satan's use. So God's view of consequences is to develop you. So when you mess up and there's a sin, God says, okay, so you messed up, you repent, get your good pastor, good church, surround yourself with accountability. He gives you some instructions. This is why you have to be careful out here in these streets nowadays. Everybody want to talk about, I don't need, I don't need no leader. I'm going to just, because these pastors have failed everybody and uh, I, don't, I'm, I could lead myself. What does the Bible say? 
What we have to be careful of and understand, Elder C, is that other people's failures does not change the order of God. We got to understand that. Now, so God will give you the instructions because his view of consequences is to develop you. That's what God wants to do. When there's a consequence, God says, okay, what did you learn from this? Right? Just like what you do with your kids. And he tells you, don't do it anymore. Because he knows that if you keep on in it, it leads into iniquity. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over and you know better, the Bible calls that iniquity. So that's God's view of sin. Man's view of consequences is to punish you. God's view of a consequence is to develop you. That's how he wants you to look at it. Man's view of a consequence is to punish you. Why, why y'all think we got cancel culture? You do something I don't like, I cancel you. That's your punishment. You say something I don't like, I clap back. That's your punishment. I don't, that, that's real. Because our view is punishment. And it's a very fine line, and we have to be careful because I notice until we are trained better, we do it with our kids. See, we're supposed to be doing the same thing with our children that God does with us. I'm about to help some of y'all parents. So the Bible says that we are all shaped in sin and born in iniquity. Am I right? The reason why you know this to be true is because you don't ever, when your child becomes two, three, that's why they call them the terrible twos. Y'all need to change y'all confession. The, these are terrific twos. Because it seems like the more you say terrible twos, the worse they get. Why don't you change your language? Right? Because I have what I say. But have you ever noticed that you don't have to take a child to an outlet in the wall, say, for instance, and tell him or her, now, this outlet, don't touch it. You've never done that. But you've noticed you had to go to the store and buy all kind of stuff to plug up the outlets, to lock up the cabinets. Why? Because there's sin and that iniquity that is already in them. So they're already testing boundaries. It's already in them, right? And so what we do is... We, we will tell them, listen, don't do X, Y, Z, and then they keep on doing it, right? And so I'm, I'm going to use my little, my little great niece as an example. Uh, uh, Kendall. Don't, don't do that, Kendall. Kendall with that little raspy voice, why? <laughs> Kendall, don't do that. And Kendall, keep doing it. And keep doing it. And keep doing it. And every time Kendall does it, your voice raises and elevates, Right? And then by the time Kendall get to the third or fourth part, part we done grab Kendall. I'm going to whoop your punishment because that's what we do. But really, what God expects for us to do is to say, Kendall, this is the outlet. Don't touch the outlet. If you touch the outlet, these are the consequences. First time, because this is what God does. Because our view of consequences is that we punish somebody and a lot of times that punishment comes from our anger and our disappointment in people but that's not how God operates so you got God's views to develop us man's view is to punish us Satan's use of notice I did not say view I said Satan's use of consequences is to destroy you God has a view to develop you man's view until we're trained to do better, we want to punish people. That's why, why do you think God said vengeance is mine and not ours? 
Like, you just be honest and think about it. Think about something somebody did to you and say, ooh, the Lord would have just left that in my hand. <laughs> Get something on your mind, somebody mess with you, somebody do. Lord, some of y'all been saved, y'all can't remember. But it was a time and it was a day. So God understands that. But Satan will use your sin to destroy you. And he will keep you in bondage to it. Now, here's an example. You ever told a lie? Mm-hmm. Don't raise your hand. We already know everybody here done lied. <laughs> ever notice how you tell one lie, then you got to figure out another one to... You, you, you got to cover up that lie. And then now something else has occurred, and now you got to tell a third lie to cover up lie one and two. And now you're on the fourth, fifth, and sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth lie. And you are worn out because you can't remember what the first lie was. <laughs> it's traumatic. I need therapy. It's a traumatic experience. Because what the enemy does is he keeps you bound to the lie. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. If we really think about it, instead of feeling like I got to tell 150 lies to cover the first lie, when I got, thank you, Liz, I could have just said in the very beginning, this is what I said, but this is, that wasn't the truth, and face whatever consequence it was, and now I'm free in this moment instead of being in a chokehold 20 years later covering up the same lie. Sin will wear you out. To punish means to inflict a penalty or a sanction on someone. It's a retribution for an offense. It means to get even. That's what punishment is. You know that God is not punishing us because if God were to get even with us, somebody say, Father, we thank you. See, that's not how God operates. If he were to get even with us, because what we tend to think is that God is fair. God is not fair. God is just. And there is a difference. Because fair means what I get, you get. Just means that God is the righteous judge and he will treat us according to his system and not our system. Somebody better thank God. I'm so glad that God treats me according to his system of grace. Because we have too many believers living under the system of the law. The law, the way that it was set up is that when you went against the order of God, punishment existed. But the way the system of grace is set up, when you go against the law of God, the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ is now covering you. But we in the church want to treat people like we're under the law, but yet we want, we want to treat people like they're under the law, but we want grace. Where they do that at? You want to treat everybody else like they're under the law. But when it comes to us personally, we want some grace. But I got news for you, church. Everybody who's received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, don't matter. The pimp, the prostitute, the murderer, I don't care what defines you. It does not matter because he's a just God. We're all under grace. Everybody gets the same level of grace. Everybody does. And we got to get our thinking right 
so that we can get our producing right and we can act like God in the earth. I'm going to tell you this story and I'm going to close right here. As a child, I grew up, and most people would never know this because I don't carry my trouble on my face or on my shoulder. I carry my testimony with my mouth. Most people would not know that as a child of God, as a child, I was molested from the time I was nine until the time I was 14 years old. I could be crazy right now, but God. I never had a therapist because the entire time that I was going through it and I did not tell my mother anything because I just couldn't bear to see my mother have more hurt on the top of the hurt that I already saw her experiencing. So I would sit in my room because my mother would take me to church and I got saved when I was eight years old. My mother would take me to church and I would sit in my room, Taylor, and I would talk to God. And I would just talk to God. Because the Bible says that the enemy will come in like a flood and he will try to destroy you. But because I would talk to God, Brooklyn, every time the enemy would begin to talk to me, God would say, say this, talk back to him. The enemy would say, you're going to lose your mind. Become somebody else so you can do and deal with this. I will never forget the day I was sitting in my room and the enemy said, become Clara. And Clara could take on the abuse and you can still be Tracy. What was the enemy trying to do, Pastor Terry? He was trying to get me to develop personalities because of the trauma I endured. And I remember the Lord said, you are not Clara, you are Tracy. And I know the thoughts I have towards you. They are thoughts of good and not of evil that I will bring you to an expected end. And I remember thinking about and growing up and how God was dealing with me and he was helping me through those times. And I remember at 14 years old, God delivered me out of that situation. Somebody better shout with me. God delivered me. And God delivered my mother out of that situation. I went on to high school, and everything was, a lot of people would say, swept under the rug. But at the time, it was the best thing that my family knew to do for me so that I didn't lose my mind. They didn't want me stigmatized by what I had been through. So I just went on with life. And in life and in high school and college, I became very popular. And I was, I was on a UL homecoming court, and I did a lot of things. And then I went away, and I got married, and then I went to school of ministry. And I think the thing about God is that when you become in a relationship with God and you really want God, God will begin to reveal to you the hidden things of your heart. And one day, everybody else, I said, we want to give the law to, but we want the grace. One day, I was sitting in my home. In Granada Hills, California, I had just come back from school to ministry. And that particular day, the class challenged me about my heart. And I had to go at home and realize that I was carrying hatred and bitterness in my heart for the perpetrator who hurt me. And I remember in that moment, Ava, the moment, the anger and the bitterness, I was at home alone by myself. It came boiling over out of me. I was so angry. But you got to understand, it had been at least 20 years of anger sitting on underneath the surface. And it took one word in a ministry class to bring that thing up. And the reason why God would do that is because I would be no good to you as a pastor if I had bitterness in my heart. You know why I can let people say things, do things. You can tell me I'm your great pastor and then talk about me the next day and I carry none of that. You know why? Because I got my heart clean. I got my heart clean. 
And I remember that anger just kept balling up, and I got on my knee, and I said, God, I was mad at God. I said, first of all, God, I got a problem with you. This is me talking to God. Some of y'all said, whoa. This is me talking to God. I said, God, I got a problem with you. Because how do you let an innocent child get in these type of situations and you don't do anything about it? And God, I was just angry. I was talking to God. And then all of a sudden, before God could even answer me, the love of God enveloped me. And then I was suddenly no, mad, no longer mad with God. Because what God told me, he said, there are some things in this life you will not understand. But one day, it's all going to be revealed. And what God was sharing with me, he said, in life, People make choices, unfortunately, that impact you indirectly. He said, this is why you got to be careful who's in your circle. You got to be careful who's in your life. You got to be careful who you marry. Because you can become indirectly impacted and affected by a choice that somebody else made. And I was mad and I was angry. And then I said, now, God, that, I, that, that, that I've said what I have to say to you. Now, I'm mad at this person because never once did they apologize to me. And it seemed like, God, in my mind, that it looks like they went on and they had their life and they didn't have to deal with nothing. But I got to deal with all the trauma and the impact and effects of it. And God said to me, how do you know what they're dealing and not dealing with? And then I said, well, God, I got a problem with that. Jarvis, I said, God, you need to kill him. I said, I, I'm, I'm being very real. See, I'm in your house because this is how you, you got to talk to God. If, you want, if you're dealing with stuff and you want God to use you to the capacity and you want to believe God and operate in this system that God has created us to operate in, you got to come to terms with the stuff that is holding you back. And I told God, I said, God, you need to kill him. As a matter of fact, I want to kill him. But do you know that when I left here, God never allowed me to see that person again. Even when I would come back multiple times in during the years to see my mother, I would never see that person because God knew that if I saw that person, that's how bad it was. And I told God, I said, God, I need you to kill him. Remember I said we operate under law for everybody. But then we want the grace. And God asked me this question. He said, let me ask you this question. If you were the last person on earth and they were the you were the only person that had the opportunity to tell them about Jesus before hell opened up and swallowed them, would you tell them or would you let them go to hell? Elder Chris, in that moment, the anger and bitterness broke off of me and I fell to my knees and I repented before God for having so much anger because God told me, he said, just like I died for you, I die for them because I'm a just God. He said, you can choose to live the rest of your life carrying something against somebody that I already covered. And the only thing it's going to do is hold you back. He said, you can repent and you can forgive them so that I can use you for my glory. And I remember the next time I saw that person, 
it was after that they came to my mother's door for something I don't even remember what it was because they had been my mother and that person had been divorced for a long time and they came to my mother's door and I thought in the moment that I was gonna have a bad reaction but what I felt was nothing but pity sorrow and the love of God and what God showed me in that moment he said you don't know what a person has been through that would trigger them to do things that you don't understand because we don't have it doesn't excuse it it doesn't excuse it but it helps us to understand that God when we say he's raised on the just and the un he's the same y'all He's not picking and choosing whose side he's on. He's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And just like he died for you and you and you and you, he died for the perpetrators. He died for the murderers. He died for the molesters. He died for the pimps. He did, He died for everybody, for all of us. And until you understand the love of God, you won't be able to walk in this life that God has called you to walk in. And I couldn't believe the day that I looked up and I saw this person and what I had was the agape, unconditional love. Because that's the kind of God we serve. And you say, Pastor Tracy, what does this have to do with your faith walk? What it has to do with your faith walk is the fact that until you deal with all these things, you're never going to be able to believe God for healing. These are all conditions of the heart that got to be cleared up. It got to go away if you're going to live. You know why I can call a thing and it'll come to pass? Because I dealt with my heart issues. You know, I can speak a thing and it come to pass. I dealt. You know why when my daughter got sick, I stood up in my daughter's bedroom and I said, God, you said that you are the healer. And my child does not deserve this. I said, I command in the name of Jesus. I said, you got to show up. And God said, what you mean I got to show up? I said, you got to show up because number one, your word says you got to show up. Number two, I live righteously and holy before you. I've dedicated my life to this. I understand what your word says. You got to show up or heaven and earth will pass away. If my daughter leave this earth, me and you going to have an eternal problem exactly how I talk to God because I don't have anything in my heart so if you want to walk by the faith and not by sight you want to walk this walk that God has commanded every last you want to change stuff in your atmosphere you want to speak a thing and it come to pass you got to give with your heart and you got to understand that God as far as he's concerned we don't get to pick and choose who we're going to let go and who we're going to forgive. Because God, under grace, has covered it all. Every head bowed, every eye closed, believers are praying. No one walking or talking unless he's been authorized to do so. I said every head bowed, every eye closed, believers are praying. No one walking or talking unless you've been authorized to do so. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming back quick in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour that he's going to return. I ask you to pray because at moments like this, when we close out a lesson, there are always people in the valley of decision trying to determine whether or not they want to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Do they want to go on with God? Do they want to rededicate their life? I'm talking to you whether you're in this building or whether you're online. This is a moment between you and God. That's why I ask everyone to close their eyes and to bow their heads. 
God loves you exactly where you are. It doesn't matter what you feel you've done or where you are, but God loves you. And he just wants to live in your heart. And I know you can sense and feel the presence of God in this place today. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus in your heart. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about a personal relationship between you and God. So while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, believers are praying. Believers, I need you praying. I need you interceding. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Tracy, I need to give my heart to God because I really don't know where my eternity lies or I need to rededicate my life to God. If that's you, I need you to stand up. I need you to stand up right now. Raise your hand. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for standing and obeying God. You can sit back down. I need you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to pray with you just like I said that I would. But I need everybody to say this prayer with me. Say this and repeat it after me. Say, Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of your saving grace. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've raised him from the dead. This same Jesus, I do right now, accept into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Now, the Bible says all of heaven is rejoicing at the choice that you've made today. Can we rejoice with all of heaven? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's a number that they're going to put up on the screen. If you're online or in person, I want you to type the words, connect me to that number, and let us know you received Jesus today so that we can give you some next steps. I have one more invitation for you today, and that is for you to receive me as your pastor. You're in this place and you do not have a good pastor and you know you need a good one. It is the order of God that you have a pastor, that you are taught God's word so you can live the life that God has for you. If you're in this building or online and you do not have a good pastor, online I need you to type connect me and let, let me know that you're receiving me as your pastor. If you're in this building, I need you to boldly get up out of your seat and come this way right now. We're going to applaud you because we're happy about your salvation and we're happy about you receiving me as a pastor so get up come on come on right now if you're receiving me as your pastor get up get up right now in Jesus name get up get up right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus where are you this is the first step to the rest of your life the first step to the rest our God is a good God he's a saving God and he's a faithful God Glory to God. Look at your neighbor. If you don't know them, ask them. Say, are you sure that you're born again? Are you sure that you have a good pastor? Thank you all for your patience. Please don't leave. Don't dishonor the presence of God. We're usually out of here by now, but today was a special day. Amen. Where are you? Listen, I want to share something with you real quick. Because I notice in this day and age, because of this cancel culture and because of how anti-God the world is, that it's becoming increasingly harder for you and I as believers to be bold about our faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to encourage you today that if they can be unapologetic by putting Satan and his agenda in our face, then I'm going to be unapologetic about putting Jesus in their face. Because the kingdom of darkness is no longer lurking in the shadows. 
they're putting it in our face and I'm telling you it's an indication according to the word and the Bible we don't even know the seasons yesterday in DC this week it was 30 degrees one day 80 degrees the next day the Bible talks about this even people would not be able to tell the seasons and the time if y'all don't believe it you better believe it Jesus is coming back soon even the earth, the book of Romans says, groans for the return and gives, is giving signs that he's on his way back. You cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you. To connect and find out more about Lift City Church, text connect me, all one word, to 337-227-9820 or visit us at liftcitychurch.org.